Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ plus communities. This is Well, 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 brought to you by the team from Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. Here on Well, 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 you're in the studio with Jack and Michael. Thorn Harbour's Smart Recovery Weekly Group Support Sessions are for LGBTIQA plus people in Adelaide who want to manage addiction, including changing their relationship with alcohol and drugs. The sessions help people to build and maintain motivation, cope with urges and cravings, to, and to lead a balanced life. We're joined now by Scott Walker, an alcohol and other drug peer worker at Thorn Harbour SA, to talk about uh, smart recovery and addiction a little bit more broadly. Thank you so much for your time, Scott. Um, I guess to begin with, um, beyond kind of maybe in a little bit more detail as someone who's helping facilitate these groups, can you tell us what the smart group is and I suppose a little bit about the methodology behind smart recovery? Of course. Uh, My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, The SMART group is a safe place where um, people managing addiction or even contemplating that they might have a problem with addiction can just come and learn from people of similar, uh, maybe even some differing experiences, Um, learning how to manage addiction in all its forms, whether it be gambling, um, pornography, um, alcohol, drugs, um, and learning strategies from each other to take what might work best for you in your world um, with tools and goals that are specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-sensitive. SMART itself stands for self-management and recovery training. A key component of the program is recognising people's own experience and their expertise in navigating their journey so far. Um, To have a space to form mutual connections, hear about what works for other people and hopefully pick up a new tool or strategy to support individuals with their self-defined goals. Fantastic. Um, Scott, I wanted to kind of unpack what addiction looks like more broadly before we jump in um, too deep, I guess. For someone who's never experienced addiction or never been around people who have experienced addiction, it might be easy to think, you know, well, why can't you just stop doing X, Y, Z? Why can navigating addiction be so difficult? Yeah, uh, some portion of the population like to enjoy substances. That's undeniable. There are physiological um, and chemical kind of effects that make it feel good, undeniably. Um, but there's also uh, exper- the experience of addiction is actually quite isolating. It's common not uh, to not know where to go, who to talk with, what to talk to the who about. Um, alongside experiences of stigmatization, discrimination, uh, externally and internally, all of these factors can contribute into why navigating recovery can be really difficult because um, it's a, quite a tough journey. Um, it's important to remember that when including lived experience workers or volunteers into any kind of program, um, a lot of clinicians offer so many valuable skills and their own experience, but can still be quite limited in connecting with people at that mutuality kind of level. Um, so, there, yeah, there's some really good areas where lived experience 
um, people who are still walking recovery can inspire hope and motivation into people and build some understanding of their own journey. I think given a lot of Dawn Harbour's services can uh, be around alcohol and other drug use, I imagine when people think about addiction, that, that, that may well be one of the first places their mind goes to. But you mentioned that smart the, the smart support groups are there to help with addiction of any sort. I suppose, what are some of the other things that you um, have seen people come to the group or um, that you've heard from your own personal experience, as you mentioned? What other things that, uh, can people get addicted to? Uh, so, uh, sex, sex is quite common, uh, hypersexuality kind of make it having that cost benefit analysis of, oh, it's not good for my mental health, but I still need to have this want and need address. Um, pornography and masturbation can kind of play into that. Gambling is often common, um, co-occurring with substances, um, because of their kind of effects. Um, can't really nitpick into that without that understanding. Um, but substance-wise, methamphetamine is still quite common, which poses some con- serious concerns to our community. Um, there's often a big stigma relating to methamphetamine addiction, noticeably from misinformation and misconceptions about how a person addicted to methamphetamine behaves and engages with uh, their surroundings and people around them. Um, I'm very fortunate to be able to use my journey of recovery from methamphetamine to connect with people, reduce some of those barriers and support people accessing therapeutic support, which is one of the most beneficial spaces to work through in navigating recovery. Um, Something I wasn't expecting in this sector, a bit of a wild card, is GHB. Um, It's not as common, but it's quite still significantly problematic um, given some of its effects. Yeah, definitely. Um, when you think about how people engage with these kinds of services and what, um, I guess, flips the switch into them wanting to reach out for some support, when might people think that their addiction has become problematic? Where do you find that people kind of identify that line of being, oh, I've now tipped over into problematic use or I'd like to make a change? It, it's quite a muddy line in the sand. <laughs> um <laughs> Through recovery, lots of concerned people, um, supports, whether informal, professional, they're so concerned about your health and well-being, seeing all the negative implications that addiction can bring. Um, but realising you've gone from a substance user to misusing the substance, uh, it, it is quite a muddy line. It's often a significant internal struggle trying to cope with those uh, demons, for lack of a better word. Um, Many people worried on the sidelines, offering their feelings and thoughts about what they consider the correct way you should walk the path. Um, But identifying that the addiction is problematic can really only come from one person, and that is the individual. Um, Some of the signs that it might be moving towards problematic consumption is losing meaningful interpersonal relationships, whether that be a partner or friends or family, um, increasing symptoms of mental unwellness, inability to calm the racing thoughts or regulate your emotions effectively, um, impacts on your ability to just do basic things like have a shower or nourish yourself with food. Um, they're some of the most important things to do to just look after yourself in that basic sense, which often gets put at the back burner while you're fighting addiction. 
Um, and yeah, observation from concerned friends. They're not trying to change you. They're just concerned for you. Yeah. I suppose the the group is specifically aimed at LGBTIQA plus folk in Adelaide. I guess for our, our incredibly diverse communities, is there something about that experience that could lend itself to being more susceptible to addictive tendencies? Yeah. I, there's a lot of factors that can kind of contribute into that. Uh, and a lot of the stuff I might ramble into here is not a case of correlation is causation, mm. but that is definitely not the case in a lot of this um, space. There's uh, definitely lots of intersections where lots of different concerns or um, issues might present um, and they all kind of crossroads at some point or the other. Um, but a fair portion of the queer community like to party and have fun. That's undeniable. Um, and although our community is extraordinarily diverse, we're a very close-knit community. Um, connections are what build our sense of community as LBGQI plus folk. Sometimes addiction can stem from infrequent occasions of use, uh, self-medication, but also given collective and individual experiences of discrimination, anxiety or fear, uh, the growing understanding surrounding neurodivergence and co-occurring conditions with those, um, or even other forms of trauma and or stresses in a more broader sense. Uh, it, it is implicit that our community turned to substances given how closely we're connected and word of mouth spreads. Um, but yeah, again, correlation is not causation and there's so many factors that can contribute into why we are more susceptible than our heteronormative peers to fall victim to addiction. Yeah. Mm. We know that there are things that impact people's lives that change the way that they, you know, imbibe with certain substances. You know, a lot of my friends will say, you know, I'm trying to quit smoking, but when I'm having a drink, I'll, you know, that that's what triggers me to want to totally. want to pick up the cigarette. Yep. What, what are some of the tools that you provide folk in trying to reduce the impacts of their addiction when they might feel those those times of temptation? Uh, self-compassion and unconditional acceptance would have to be one of the most beneficial tools just from my own experience. Um, being kind to yourself, not holding yourself to some arbitrary standard defined by whatever an ideal life might look like to you. <laughs> I'm, it's so easy to do, though. I'm guilty of it 100% of the time, particularly, like you said, when going out for a drink and, oh, I could just have one cigarette and then that turns into, oh, I'll just get a packet for this week. Um, so there's lots of tools through the SMART program that can kind of be adapted into managing those urges uh, some skill building of refusal skills. Um, but one of my favourite ones is ABC chart. And unless people have really kind of done some support with people's behaviour, you may be oblivious to what ABC stands for, but it's really kind of analysing a situation, what triggered those feelings to um, lead to thinking about having a cigarette, um, what belief were you experiencing? Oh, I can just have this one cigarette whilst I'm having a drink. It's just a Friday night. I can manage that. And the consequences is maybe next week I'll buy a pack of cigarettes because nicotine is is one of those other substances that I could have mentioned. Um, yeah. So lots of different tools that are adaptable through the SMART model to kind of 
support people in managing that temptation, yeah. Here on Well, 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 you're with Jack and Michael in the studio, and we're speaking with Scott Walker uh, from Thorn Harbour SA about the Smart Recovery uh, Group Support Session. Stick with us. We've got more coming up in just a moment. Sexual health, mental health, and the overall well-being of our LGBTIQ communities. You're listening to Well, Well, Well. You are still here with us on Well, Well, Well. Jack and Michael are with you in the studio, joined now by uh, Scott Walker, alcohol and other drug peer worker at Thorn Harbour Essay, and we're speaking a little bit about the uh, weekly group support sessions, uh, Smart Recovery in Adelaide. I guess, Scott, we spoke a little bit about that benefit of uh, having, I guess, folk with lived experience helping facilitate that that uh, journey with addiction or potentially recovery. Um, I, I guess, what are some of the benefits of getting help in a group setting like the Smart Recovery groups versus something that you might imagine sort of more one-on-one like individual counselling? So they both have their pros. Uh, Very few cons. Uh, (laughs) The the, uh, group setting is great at connecting with people and feeling like you're not walking the road by yourself um, and figuring out what Joe Bloggs might be doing to manage the cravings of nicotine might actually support me in managing my cravings for methamphetamine, even though completely different substances. But Joe might be going to the gym um, every time he feels the urge and uh, where I might be sitting down and just trying to regulate and use my uh, therapeutic strategies that I've gained through a lot of one-on-one work. Um, But there's no right or wrong in they're both kind of beneficial. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so ma- that was one of the ones that I hadn't. I imagine yeah. that um, the, the, the sort of connection, because yeah. you were talking about addiction being something of an isolating experience where going into a one-on-one session might not necessarily address that as directly. It might not feel to folk that it, it, it addresses that isolation. Whereas is it fair to say that a group setting would particularly help with, oh, I'm not alone in this experience? A hundred percent, yeah. Um, the smart group here is still kind of gaining traction and I haven't had the opportunity to have two people. Uh, I've kind of been one person for a session here and there. With uh, I have my co-facilitator who often changes and brings their own experience and skills into the space. Um, so there's often diverse conversation in that space, um, but... Yeah, connecting with people who are not in that paid role, who are walking the road, it's it's really important to have someone that you just can know is going through a similar experience and that they're still making it through and it kind of provides some inspiration to help you get through with whatever you might be going through. Mm. For people for whom a group setting might not be the most beneficial thing for them. Or it might be intimidating. Or or might be just initially intimidating. They want to kind of dip their toe in the water, for instance. What are some of the other complementary services or things on offer at Thorn Harbour SA that people might want to consider if they're not comfortable in in a group setting initially? Sure. So we do some brief interventions and that might look like us not even the person coming into our office. We could uh, do an outreach at a kind of coffee shop, grab a coffee and go for a walk through our beautiful parklands that surround the city and just have a chat about what they might be uncertain of about the treatment. Um, 
there are so many different kinds of treatment options uh, and therapeutic strategies. It, it's kind of like finding Cinderella's glass slipper. It's out there and it's worth all the patience and fortitude needed to find it. Um, but there are so many barriers, whether it be internal, um, fear of the unknown. Yeah, it's really kind of stepping off a cliff and trusting that there's people going to be there to catch you. Um, and that's where yeah, my role really comes in, important into that, um, supporting people through the service from the moment they come into the door to the moment we see them off uh, living their happy, healthy lives. Yeah. For the smart groups themselves, I, I guess... We said earlier that they're for LGBTIQA plus people in Adelaide, um, but are there any other sort of limitations or anything that people should keep in mind in coming to attend these groups? Uh, you won't be able to get all of what you might be after just in one group setting. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's definitely responding to the past seven days and thinking about what might have happened and making a plan for the next seven days. Uh, the SMART program is very beneficial at holding yourself accountable. Um, there's no hard feelings if someone comes in and lies to me. It's all in their court. I'm not going to have any skin off of my back. But um, So having that forthcoming nature and uh, I guess being vulnerable in a space which you might be a bit uncomfortable with um, can really uh, support people with whatever they might be stuck with um, and whatever they might be hoping to learn. Yeah. yeah. At the top of the show, you were talking about some of the drugs and, and things that might people might be battling with or, or, or responding to, one of those being methamphetamine use. Um, and some of the projects and uh, groups that we run through Thorn Harbour, it's really important that for the safety of the people in the group that they're um, people don't attend the sessions once, you know, while they've already consumed, obviously, because that can be, you know, triggering and distressing for other people. Do you have any um, sets of boundaries in place in terms of if I'm coming along to a session, can I have just had a bottle of wine or can I have just, you know, um, had some meth at home? Um, are there any other boundaries in, in that regard? There are some boundaries. We obviously would want to try to keep a safe, inclusive space whoever might come through the door, wherever they may be. Um, but ultimately, if there's no kind of impact to that group setting and that person might feel some benefit, um, there is the guideline, don't come under the influence. But again, what we don't know doesn't hurt us. Um, so some people with particularly methamphetamine addiction, it's hard to find a day where they don't use. And it's often from the moment they wake up until mm. the moment they fall asleep a few days later. Um, so it's really hard to be uh, to try to find that balance between, okay, we don't want you to be intoxicated and uh, uh, kind of bringing all the attention to yourself. We want to kind of have a productive, supportive group. Um, and that's where... Um, all the support I'm receiving through uh, my colleagues here at Thorn Harbour, um, some colleagues at Saymesh, um, uh, bringing in that one-to-one -one opportunity where uh, my co-facilitator can have um, a conversation with someone if they might present in distress or um, needing some additional support where the group might have caused some feelings. Yeah. 
In terms of people coming along to the groups, um, we were talking before the show about, you know, providing a space that's kind of fit for purpose for everyone. Um, are there any considerations in terms of, you know, if I come along and and I'm already kind of well on my way to to a recovery journey, and mm. I'm about I'm thinking about maintenance for myself, and perhaps Jack is coming along and is only just starting to think about their journey, uh, and they're a, a kind of like a different place entirely. How do you uh, coordinate that? I guess in a in a mixed space to make sure everyone's supported. Yes, I wouldn't want Jack uh, suggesting to uh, yourself, Michael, that, um, you know, oh, you're a bit anxious, let's just go have a drink. That relieves that anxiety. We don't want any of that talk because we're trying to learn about some strategies that might alleviate that anxiety without being substance-centric. Um, and obviously there's no one's place in the group to give advice to someone else, but I could talk about what has really been helpful for me, um, what uh, someone else who I've supported might have worked for them. Um, and if uh, Jack takes that and goes from, I don't have a problem to, I think I might have a problem, then that, that's some improvement which wouldn't have been possible without that group space. Totally. To, to wrap up, um, actually, before I do that, is there anything, Scott, that we've sort of touched on lately that you feel could you could go into more detail on or maybe a tangent that we might have missed? Has there been anything that has crossed your mind? Um, kind of uh, the overlap between alcohol, drug and mental health. It's often mm. quite siloed, um, particularly, I'm not sure about Victoria. Victoria is so much better in terms of accessibility to services and um, South Australia is catching up. Um, we're <laughs> getting there one potato at a time. Um, but it is a vicious cycle in managing mental health and mm. addiction. It, it, it's... Uh, Often people might use substances to mitigate impacts of their mental health, but in turn those substances exacerbate the symptoms that they were starting to mitigate and it kind of spirals and the next minute you have a problematic addiction for mm. two years um, because, yeah, from my own experience of relieving those symptoms with those um, drugs, yeah, and then accessing support that can sometimes feel a bit of a hot potato kind of situation of treat your AOD concerns or treat your mental health first and yeah but treatments are so comprehensive and specialized um, it's, as I said before finding Cinderella's last slipper the, the right fit for therapy is definitely out there uh, and they're not mutually exclusive. You can be accessing one-on-one -on -one support with us or other programs and still receiving the benefits of the group support in SMART. Um, but there is kind of in that terms of co-occurring with AOD and mental health, um, it's very important that we have spaces like Thorn Harbour where uh, our community can really go and say there's kind of an overlap with both. Um, I know through my journey, I would have really benefited from this service, um, being isolated in the country. But I'm very fortunate to have had the support, which was still there, um, and yeah, made it work. And yeah, so definitely, if people are out there treating their mental health with alcohol and drugs, I suggest going to talk to a medical professional. <laughs> if people want to kind of learn more about addiction and and how that can affect their lives or how they might want to respond to it, I guess. Are there any resources out there that you could recommend? 
One of the top ones that I love is touch base. Uh, it is tailored for our community, for LBGTQIA plus folks. It has tips on how to party well, tips on support, services, uh, signs to look for for people who might be experiencing an unpleasurable time in a nightclub under the influence of substances, um, but also tips important for consent in sex and um, making sure that both parties are having a mutually uh, fun time, um, which is important and can often be forgotten about whilst you're high under the influence of substances. But also um, the interactions for the uh, gender diverse folk of uh, people who might have an opportunity to use substances, it's good to just touch base with the name um, to understand any interactions with their therapy or the substance they might be uh, kind of inquiring about consuming. Um, yeah cool that um, would be the top resource i recommend yeah fantastic um scott walker uh, alcohol and other drug peer worker at thorn harbor sa thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us about uh, a little bit about your work and, and addiction and the smart recovery group thank you so much for your time thank you thanks for listening to well 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 supported by thorn harbor health on joy and the community radio network for more lgbtiq plus health and well-being and much more Check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website thornharbour.org. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.